Today's episode of The Mourner's Bench is brought to you by Theo Lab Media. Who Woo. that? Who that is? <laughs> That's my mama now. That's your mama now. <laughs> your mama now. Sam, happy birthday to your mama. Is it your mama's birthday for real? My mama's birthday was on December 8th. Theo Lab Media <laughs> is brought to you by Sam's, Sam's mother. In <laughs> wow. her birthday. Theolab exists to transform how humans engage faith, spirituality, culture, and the world around them. Theolab tries to create candid conversations that are rooted in vulnerability, mutual respect, and authenticity. Man, ain't that rare these days. That's part of what the Mourners Bench does. So I hope that you're enjoying the content here. If you are, go on over to theolabmedia.com. That's theolabmedia.com or like theolabmedia.com if you don't know how to spell Theo. Lab. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it may be confusing. Like, what is Theo? What is like? Never mind. Theolabmedia.com. Go check it out. What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Mourner's Bench. The gang is all here, and today we are rounding out our journey through Advent with a conversation about love. We'll discuss how and why Christians get it wrong, or backwards at least. Spoiler alert, beginning with loving God is actually the wrong starting point. Don't be mad at me though, I'm just the messenger. We'll also talk about the barriers that exist to loving yourself. It's really tough to do. And of course, we'll have our weekly altar call where we'll put a few fan favorites back on the bench. But before that, a few announcements. As everyone knows, we are approaching the end of the year, so our rhythm is going to change just a little. We'll continue releasing two episodes per week for the remainder of the year, even for the holidays. Considered our gift to you, our little holiday gift, if you will. This Thursday, listen in for another installment of our Conversation Between Friends series. This time, it'll be KT and Pastor Sam. Then next Tuesday, Malcolm and I will share our one-on-one conversation as well. We'll all be talking about building relationships and friendships across race and the ways that past traumas and fears and history can present barriers to doing that well. Then next Thursday, we'll bring you a very special Christmas Eve episode where we will talk about the meaning of Christmas and our holiday traditions. Did you enjoy the Thanksgiving episode? I got one email that said, y'all were punchy on Thanksgiving. Well, you ain't heard nothing yet. Listen in on December 24th for even more punchiness. It is the perfect way to escape from your family for a little under an hour to have a moment to yourself or with us at least, but you get it. Then we'll have another conversation between friends on December the 29th. I think that one's going to be Sam and David. And then the moment you've all been waiting for and emailing about our year in the altar call extravaganza. Ganza, ganza. I need a vocal effect there. Maybe next time. Listen in on New Year's Eve for an entire episode of your favorite four podcasters. And some of you are listeners putting the saints and the ain'ts on the bench but mostly the angst. You do not want to miss it. Listen in on December the 31st. Finally, if you have not yet hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do it right now. For real, for real. Just reopen your phone, open your app, go back, stop scrolling through Instagram, go back to Spotify, go back to Apple, and go ahead and hit subscribe. You'll get push notifications so that you never miss an episode. And if you haven't yet rated or reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, what are you waiting for? You've been listening every week. 
take a moment right now and leave us a review and a rating. Thanks, boo. Let's get into it. What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when the heart can be broken? Ooh. That was a modulation. I know, I know. What's You're love? Extra. I'm not extra. That's you are very extra. That, no, I'm not. You're extra. I'm accurate. You may be that as well, <laughs> but you are extra. <laughs> all kinds of extra. So Tina Turner asked this question so long ago, and it's one of my favorite songs of all times. What does love have to do with it? We are approaching the fourth week of Advent, and... Love is kind of this vague concept. Hmm. Marion Williamson and Cory Booker ran their presidential campaigns based on love. I have a sneaking suspicion that they weren't elected because <laughs> no one could figure out how to clearly articulate love through a political lens. There was nothing actionable. I didn't know how that, that was made manifest through policies, through their governing strategies. They just wanted everybody to love one another. What does love have to do with it for you? Who and what do you love? And what about those relationships makes you name those as loving for you? So I'm thinking about how we immediately, you should have said Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> Try again. Go back. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Who do you love? <laughs> I, so I'm struck by how many different emotions and feelings and states of being we describe as love. Mm. And I think we all know that when we say love in this context, we mean this. And when we say love in that way, we mean, you know, when we say it in that context, we mean it that way. But it strikes me that maybe we do have more of a like kind of muddied understanding of what love really is. I grew up in a family, we're all huge baseball fans. My grandfather was born in Illinois and was a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan. And if you asked anybody in my family how they feel about the Chicago Cubs, they would say, I love that team, love them. And I think, you know, of course, I mean, and, and we would all say like, Sam, you might say like, I love the Alabama Crimson Tide, you know, like that's a, that's a common thing that, that we talk about. What we're really communicating when we say something like that is like, I have a strong affinity for this group or I feel connected to it or there's something about that that I, that I like. None of those things are love, but that's the word that we use. And so when I think about who or what I love, I think the first question that comes to mind for me is like, well, what exactly am I, am I talking about? And if we're having a conversation about like real, true love, yeah, my, my spouse is the first person that lands on that list my sister, my parents. I don't know that I would really go much further than that though. And that thought is humbling to me. I think real love is, is something that oftentimes is really narrow. And yeah, I don't think I'd put a whole lot of people in that category if I really sit and think about it. Of course, when I think about love, I think about scripture. Ooh, going uh, holy. Ah, uh, yeah. One of my favorite scriptures actually when they're asking Jesus about the greatest commandment. I think one gospel says the question is asked about how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus begins to give this story about the Good Samaritan. 
you all are familiar with the story. I don't have to rehash all of that. Give us a little bit. Okay, sure. Um, Didn't have to try that hard. So, <laughs> he's a preacher. <laughs> Happy to. So in one gospel, there's this like attorney or kind of teacher of the law who stands up and says, how do we get eternal life? And Jesus says, you should know this. You know the law. You're a lawyer. And he quotes from the Old Testament that you should love God with all your heart and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Part of that statement is love your neighbor as yourself. And what I was thinking about is that once I was able to love myself more, once I was able to come out and kind of identify who it was that I am, who it is that God has created me to be, I was able to be in relationship with other people mm. more and I was be able to love and care for and have compassion for others. So I think there's a way of taking that too far and, and focusing only on self in a s selfish way. But I think the reality is that as I have loved myself, I have been able to love others more. But I'm not certain that there's a real potential for us taking loving ourselves too far. Yeah, I don't right. think that loving ourselves is commonplace. I think in actuality, most of us are pretty damn hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, that's part of the reason that that scripture is so poignant to me because it says, yes. love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And so many sermons that I've heard have focused on loving the Lord your God. If you just can love the Lord your God with all your heart, then of course you're going to love your neighbor. And then of course you're going to love yourself, but that's the wrong order of the yes. equation. Come Correct. on, come on, Pastor. You have to start with loving yourself because if you cannot love yourself, there's no that's possible right. way you can love your neighbor. Make it plain. And if you cannot love your neighbor, then you cannot love God. Mm. That's I right. mean, so so that that's the order of the equation that is outlined in that Wait, particular say that scripture. Again. Say that last part again for the people in the back. We talked about this last week. We did. So you cannot love your neighbor if you don't first love yourself. So if I've got self-defeating thoughts that are running through my mind all the damn time because of the stories that other people have told me throughout my life, mm -hmm. you no good, you too black, you too gay, you too fat, you too, whatever the things are, and I have found my own ways to recycle those things and rehearse those things in my psyche, I am not doing myself a favor. And I'm not learning to love myself. I, I have a spiritual practice of sleeping naked and I always around bedtime and around waking up hours. <laughs> it's like, I'm out of here. I'm just, damn it. This is going too the, far. I'm uh, leaving. <laughs> that was not the love we were thinking of. I'm not going there. Self-love. <laughs> well, if you want to go down that path. Ugh. But no, like I, but, but being naked and unashamed, unafraid of my body is a thing and being able to stand in the mirror for sometimes an hour naked. Like I do my entire morning routine, but naked. I do not put on undergarments until I'm putting on my overgarments. And part of that for me is learning to grapple with my body because one of the ways that I think our world teaches us to hate ourselves and doubt ourselves is by hatred of our bodies for the many different ways that we're embodied. You ain't got no ass. Oh, I mean, I, I, had, I had gynecomastia as a child, which is enlarged woman like breasts for men. Yeah. And- I hated them and I had to get surgery because I was so self-conscious about it. And that still didn't resolve my issues. But it was when I developed the practice. I mean, and my parents used to be like, why don't you put on clothes? <laughs> because I'm, I, I, I didn't have this language then, but I think it was the beginning of me trying to learn to love my body. 
I'm not suggesting that we should all just run around naked all the time, but that is how things started in the garden. Just to be clear, we all have clothes on. <laughs> so, spoiler alert. <laughs> I've been naked for the last 10 weeks. <laughs> we wow. record in the nude. Help us, Jesus. Let's light the love candle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you are ridiculous. So to wrap this thought, um, the reason I had to develop a practice that allowed me to or helped me to learn to love my body is because somewhere along the line, I learned to hate it. And to the extent that I hated my own body, I hated everybody else's too. Yes. Body shaming of others was common because I did, I did it to myself. I did it to myself first. And if I do it to myself, why would I not do it to you? And the same goes for learning to love my emotions. Very early on, I learned to be so fearful of expressing any sort of emotion, of any kind of vulnerability, because someone taught me that to express emotions was to express weakness. So now, instead of healthily expressing my emotions, the only thing I can express is anger because we celebrate and affirm the expression of anger. So now if someone comes to me and they are sad, they are fearful, they are grieved, they're hurt by something that I've said, my only option is to also hate their expression of emotion, to hate them. Yes, yes. To hate their humanness. Why is everybody walking around here so angry all the time? We don't love our emotions. We don't love our bodies. We don't love our minds. We don't love ourselves. We have beat ourselves into being the most unfeeling, ungrateful, unloving kind of people. And then we wonder why people think God does such hateful things. That's right. Because somebody told them a lie a long time ago before they could even detect the deception. And they buried that thing and it grew and it swelled and it festered to the point that it is bleeding and oozing everywhere and trying to call itself love, but it's not love. Come on, come on. It is a lie from the pits of hell. If I cannot first love myself as evidenced by constant negative self-talk, I'm so stupid, I'm so dumb, I'm so ugly, I'm so fat, I'm too skinny, I wish my ass was bigger, I ain't got no social media followers, nobody likes my status, I'm too needy, I need to be more independent, you don't need anyone, I'm too broke, I'm too broken, I'm too feeble, I'm too sick, whatever it is, and that's the message that I keep telling myself. What's the message I'm going to give to you? You're so stupid. You're so dumb. You're so ugly. You're so fat. You're too skinny. Your left eye is crooked. You're too needy. You're too dingy. You're too clingy. You're too sick. You're too broken. And then for those who still believe in a divinity, what's the message we have for God? Or what is the message we think God has for us? Correct. What I think actually happens is God ends up sounding like everybody else. God ends up sounding like the voice in my head. And because I'm so hard on myself. Yes, yes. Because I'm so hard on others. God must do the same thing. God yes. must think the same thing. God must say the same things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then love your neighbor as yourself. No, 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 no. That's not the right order. Self. Neighbor. Then God, that's the order. Make it plain. And if I were preaching, I might say God is made most manifest when we learn to love ourselves fully. Because it's out of that self-love, that love of the other, of the neighbor, 
is made manifest. It's demonstrated. It's proven. It's shown. That's the order. Self, neighbor, God. Folks wonder where God is, and I'm like absent, gone, even in Advent. <laughs> because you want to figure out how to love God, I won't take the time to figure out how to love yourself. Because you think the way that you talk to yourself is normal. Because you think the way that you feel about yourself is normal because our culture perpetuates it. But that shit ain't normal. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done. Let's take a quick break and um, we'll come back and wrap up this discussion and then we'll go to the altar call. What's up, good people? Thank you so much for all the emails, phone calls, text messages that you've sent over the last few weeks as we gear up for our year-end altar call. We've also had a few people sign up for our mailing list. If you're interested in staying in the know with Theo Lab, go ahead to theolabmedia.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up to receive our newsletter. We'll start sending it out in January of 2021. And that'll be the first place that you can know about additional podcasts coming from Theolab Media, what's happening on the Mourner's Bench, and then what's just happening in the world more broadly. Again, that's theolabmedia.com. Head on over and sign up for our newsletter. Let's get back into it. The single event that has taught me what love is, unconditional love more than anything else, is becoming a parent. I can remember the moment that I understood God's unconditional love of me and my unconditional love of this child whom I adore. And the first 10 days of Jordan's life, she barely got any food. People talk about breastfeeding as something that is easy. You just do it. No one actually ever talks about it. You just either do it or you don't do it. I did not know how difficult it was to learn how to breastfeed. And so... We had lactation consultants come when we were in the hospital. We had uh, we had to go back <laughs> to the hospital several times in order to meet with a lactation consultant because she simply couldn't figure it out. And I didn't know what was going on. It was horrible. Like you have this emotional, um, I had this emotional reaction. Like here I am, I'm supposed to be a parent, this mother, everybody, you know, this is the healthiest thing you can do for a child and I can't even figure it out. How am I going to make it through the rest of her life? I didn't sleep. She didn't eat. I was starting to hallucinate. And it, it, it was just emotionally exhausting. And finally, we had it figured out. And I remember this moment of sitting in my bedroom and I was sitting on the bed and nursing her. And all of a sudden, the scripture where God is referred to as a nursing mother came up. And I always used to think that was such a passive text that God's just nursing. And as I sat there after two weeks of trying to figure out what we were going to do, I just burst into tears because what I realized is that this nursing mother God is one that is going to have no sleep and and hold us and care for us when we're crying, when we're turning away from nourishment, when we're maybe going overboard. It is this intimate engagement with us. And it was in that moment that I felt the most love and knew love of this child in a way that I have never experienced before. Mm. I mean, it helps for teenage years to have had that experience, but... (laughs) (laughs) Because then you're like, why are you here? (laughs) I don't know. I heard a uh, theology 
professor lecture a couple years ago, and he talked about like a biblical concept of, of love. And the argument that he was making is that love is many things, but one of its primary functions in our lives is as a school of holiness. And what he meant by that is that when we are in truly loving relationships and when we find the courage to love other people and when we find the courage to receive love from other people, it functions as a way of bringing us closer to, to the divine, teaches us a little bit more about what God is up to and who God is and how we might partner with God in bringing good news to the world. My spouse and I literally every morning like race to see who gets up first to make the other coffee. Every morning, we, regardless of what we have going on, regardless of how early we have to get up and get moving, we just have a practice of setting aside some time for a cup of coffee in bed. And that simple gesture of like, I've woken up and I want, I want to bring something to you. I want to share this thing with you. And that's the first thing every day. I know that may sound just, you know, kind of petty and, and unimportant, but there is something about that gesture that just really speaks to me. That relationship has schooled me in holiness. And I think I'm hopefully a little bit different of a, a person because of that. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. I think, you know, love, love changes us. I mean, I, love brings us to life in a way that I think nothing else on earth possibly can. I don't think that's small or petty at all. The gesture, I think, is beautiful and and amazing. I think what I appreciate about the story as well is it is this small act. Like, I think part of the challenge for me has been learning that love takes constant nurturing, right? And if one way that you demonstrate love is by trying to race to see who can put the coffee on first for the other person, then every day you've put something in the bank account. Mm-hmm. And how, the, I'm sorry, how long have y'all been married? Uh, a little over six years. And together? Uh, close to 10. Right. And so right. to still be racing. Right. Like that's so. That's I ain't racing yeah. nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that's part of the thing, right? Like when we approach love as this sort of huge, grandiose thing and yeah. and like and that we would trivialize something that as simple as making the other person a pot of coffee every day for 10 years or racing to do that. Like I think that we actually have misunderstood something about love and that's what makes it so difficult for any of us to access and perhaps to Marion Williamson and Cory Booker's credit, maybe not, but maybe so maybe it was as simple as saying, we just got to love each other, but the still the challenges and the deeper work that's necessary is we don't know how to do that. Right. I mean, I do think it's as simple as just loving each other. I, I think if we, if everybody knew that they were loved as much as they are loved, if everyone were able to love out of that, then I don't think we would do the things that we do to one another. But I also don't think that that's something we're capable of doing in this universe. I mean, I I think this is when I start getting Presbyterian and sin-like. I mean, I just simply don't think we have the ability to to do that. Yeah, we have a lot of shitty examples of what it means to love. I mean, I think that's that's part of the challenge is like, there are so many people in my life who have told me, I love you. And I even go to like parental relationships. Like for me... What I've had to come to grips with is the most gracious I can be to my parents is you love me the best way you knew how. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that fell short. That doesn't mean that I have to hate you, 
but it does mean that I've come to understand what it actually means for me to be loved. Right. And coming out with my parents, one of the things that we've had to navigate together has been to come out and to be truthful about my sexual orientation was to say, hey, for so long, your love was conditional and predicated on me being heterosexual. And as long as that was what we all lied to ourselves about, then we had this love that made you feel good and made me feel like shit. And so now on the other side of that, the way that you demonstrate your love to me is when I say to you, no, that doesn't feel right anymore. No, you can't do that anymore. No, you can't say that anymore. No, you can't react to me like that anymore. No, you have a responsibility when you hear that gay joke to challenge it because your son is gay and it may not happen immediately. It may not be the case that like my mother's racing to try to make sure that she affirms me in certain ways every morning, like you making your wife a cup of coffee. Sometimes that's a six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year process. Yeah. Because my mother has to learn and unlearn the ways in which the, her parents, her husband, her sister, her brother, didn't love her in a way that felt like love. Like, you have to teach people how to love you. That's, I was just, I was getting there, man. Preach it. You took yeah. my shit. That's what I was just about to say. The exact words. You have to teach people how to love you. One of my previous jobs, y'all know I joke a lot. I never knew that. You never knew that? Not at all. I thought you were always I joke, serious. No, I joke a lot. Oh, so do you actually love me? I joke a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so on one of my previous jobs, you know, I'd be this person that would joke and then I'd be like, ah, oh, but you know I love you. And like one of my coworkers would laugh and they'd be like, yeah, but why your love hurt so much? <laughs> <laughs> and while we were joking and laughing about it, like that's real life for people. Yeah. Stuck in yeah. situations, yeah. stuck in relationships, stuck in families where people are saying, I love you, but your love is the most painful thing that I yeah. have experienced. And there's nothing wrong with creating and drawing boundaries because you have to teach people how to love you. Otherwise, people will call anything love. People will damage you and say, it's because I love you. Right. People will, you know, it's like an abusive relationship yeah. where the husband. Yes. Pastors do that all the time. Pastors all are maybe more time. notorious for it than anybody else. That from the pulpit, they beat you with a hammer yep. and then say, oh, it's because I love you. You've got to teach people how to love you. You can't be afraid of doing that. You can't be afraid of pushing back and saying, wait, wait a minute. Right. And I've learned, <laughs> I've started doing that and learned how to do that. And it's not comfortable. It's not. It's not comfortable. My, nope. my mom and I, my mom doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can say this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to email her this episode. <laughs> hey, girl. <laughs> I know you don't know me. You should listen. <laughs> we were on a cruise. We, uh, Me and a couple of friends took our mothers on a mother-son cruise a few years ago. But my mom made some comments. She's very... Um, evangelical-ish Christian Southern, you know. Um, and so she made some comments about Islam. And I couldn't let it fly. You know, I couldn't be like, oh, you know, oh, that's my mom. Or, you know, she grew up in this era. She grew up in this way. I said, no. I said, what, what do you know about Islam? Like, I, I had to push back and say, that's actually not accurate. That's actually not true. This is not. And, and it was uncomfortable. She got upset. You know, because she was like, I don't care what you say. Jesus is the only way. <laughs> y'all know, I know some of y'all got parents out there like that. Don't Child. be touching my mama. Y'all got some parents like that. I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but you have to teach people how to love you. 
And that means challenging them in some instances. That means correcting them in some instances. That means pushing the brakes on conversations to say, whoa, I don't like that. I don't like the way where this conversation is going. And teaching people how to love you is also an act of self-love. Yes. yes. Right? Because there's a way in which when you're accepting other people's shitty love, that that's also how much you love yourself. Hmm. So if in a certain season of my life as a single gay man, loving me for my family meant, here's how we're going to do this if we're, if we're going to be in relationship. And then once Adriel's in my life and everybody's like, well, how's your friend? Hmm. Or not even mentioning his name. And that begins to rub against me. Then there's a way in which I'm learning to be ashamed of mm-hmm. and accept yeah. silencing of a certain part of my life. And so I had a cousin one time who the first thing that this person always said was, well, you know, I just don't agree with that lifestyle. And I'm like, well, why do we have to start our every conversation with that? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not asking you to. I'm asking you to be in relationship with me. And I finally said to this cousin, listen, I'm tired of y'all. I'm getting out of all the family gr- group text. I'm getting off of this app. I'm getting off of all of it. Don't Facebook me. Leave me. I'm happy for y'all to call and check in. But when you call and check on me, when you call my phone, when you text my phone, as quickly as you say my name, say Adriel's. Because mm-hmm. when I call, I ask about your partner. When I call, I ask about your children. That's what it meant for me in that season to say, I refuse to let anyone make me ashamed of who I am. Mm-hmm. I refuse to let anyone silence an aspect of my being because I know what that feels like and that's not me loving myself. How do we, like, there's no way to bottle that up and sell it, you know? Like, I don't, I, I don't know how, I don't know what we could do as a society to like, to practice that, to, to cultivate that, to let that be the, the guiding principle of our, of our lives together. I have no answer to it. I'm just curious if y'all have thoughts about it. How do we practice this? How do we create like communities of love? Is that even possible? I, I don't know. So, so the thoughts that are coming up for me are that in order to know love, in order to be loved and in order to love, it requires a couple of things. And the first is self-awareness. You have to know what your needs are and what, what you need to do. I don't know enough to talk about these love languages that people talk about, but some people, like my mom, my mom would love it if every morning I get up and do the dishes. And so like to un- like unload the dishwasher and clean everything up. Note, we do wash our dishes the night before. So it's just undoing the dishes. She would love for me to have I'm that like, done. I'm like, y'all have dirty. No, no. All right. She's like, you My mom's love language is cleaning everything up so she doesn't have to do anything. Acts of service. Acts of service, exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Whatever it is. Exactly. Other people like to have, get gifts. Um, I don't care about acts of service. I don't care about gifts. I would just like to sit in a room with no one talking to me, but they can be in the room also. That's that's Um, not a love. That's not one of the five. Baby. <laughs> My love language is leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> it's the sixth love language. That's why me and Katie are friends. Because <laughs> we can sit in the room and not say shit to each other. That's quality time. Right, right, exactly. Shit. It's quality time. So the reality is you have to know what you need, but you also have to know what other people need. Because I think so often we think, well, I'm being loving because I'm doing what I would appreciate, but that's not a gift to somebody else. And so I don't think 
we have an awareness enough of ourselves and what we need. And I don't think others do either. Gary Chapman does write about that in his book, The Five Love Languages. Thank you. He talks about making sure that we do the work to find out our own languages of love, but not assuming that people respond to those same languages, yep. but, but to understand that people may have different ways that love is communicated to them. So physical touch may be my language and that communicates love to me, but being left alone may be Katie's language. And I, <laughs> and a part of being in relationship with other people is, is doing the hard work of understanding what it is that communicates love to you yep. and then trying to honor that. And so leaving you the hell alone would be how I communicate love to you. Now, to be clear, as Brendan said, it's quality time. It's not that I don't want to be around people. I just want to, just to not be talking to you. I, just, you know, right. I, just, I need quality time away from you. Right. No, with you, just shut with the fuck you, up. Just not talking. Proximity That's what makes silence. it quality. The silence you. makes it quality. That you are, gosh, I, I cannot express how much I love someone if I can be in the room with them and not talk. Mm. That's... That's holy. I'm either really pissed or I love you abundantly. Mm. Most often pissed. <laughs> I mean, so Dave Kirpin, who's the author of The Art of People, talks about how the golden rule is all wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the platinum rule. We don't need Correct. to treat others the way we would want to be treated. Exactly. You got to treat others the way they want to be, be treated. treated. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's part of the issue is we don't know how we want to be treated mm. and we don't know what love feels like. And when there are people who are aware of what love feels like to them, and when there are people who love themselves so much that they won't accept anything that doesn't feel like love, we trivialize those folks. Well, they're difficult. Right. Well, they're rude. They don't like to receive gifts. No, you keep buying me the same magnet from the Bahamas every time you go. And I done told you I don't want a magnet. Don't you have a refrigerator? <laughs> and that's what they say. And that's what they say. I can tell you I don't want this. And you keep doing it over and over and over again. And as small as that example is, that's a lot of the ways that I think that we try to practice love in the world. And so I think if we were going to organize society in the world around love, if we were going to teach people what it meant to practice that, then we got to get them to love themselves. And that's a tough thing. Let's take a quick break and we'll go to the altar call. The time is coming. The hour is nigh for us to go back to the altar and to put a few butts on the bench that need to repent. Hit the track. Who's on the bench? Attorney General William Barr. Put him on there. Is on the bench again. That mother... Okay, so I don't know if y'all have... No, I was, this. Go how you was going. Go back because okay. you was about to give it to him. <laughs> give it to him right, mother, Malcolm. Okay. Come on. This is actually really serious. This makes me mm-hmm. so mad. I don't know if y'all have followed this very closely, but uh, the Trump administration decided this year to end the moratorium on federal executions. Yep. Oh, really? 
And yeah. William Barr, just this past week, approved the, I think, seventh execution oh, this year. Shit. And yeah. they have, is it three or four more that are lined up? And they're all black. Yep. Yep. And they're, li- and they're literally lined up in the weeks leading to the inauguration. And they yeah. are like literally trying to kill people before Trump leaves office. Yep. Yep. All black people. Aren't they trying to approve uh, like firing squads and different... Yep. Different types of execution methods. Dude, I mean, it's crazy. And the reason why, I mean, there's so much to be angry about in relation to that. But one of the things that makes me so angry is that William Barr claims that he is an active practicing Catholic. Mm. Mm. And the Catholic Church is very clear in their understanding of the death penalty. And for him to sit there and say that his faith matters to him, that he's a practicing Catholic, and then to actively fight to kill people, to like pull all of the administrative strings necessary to make that happen is despicable. It is. There's so many things to look back on in the last four years and to be upset about. I mean, but like literally rushing people's executions before the inauguration, I think is just an absolutely disgusting thing. And again, and like, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you care about. That ought to be absolutely disgusting to you. So William Barr, get your ass on the bench. Can the Catholic Church excommunicate him? Is that a thing? Does the Pope excommunicate people? Because that's, that's worthy of excommunication. You know, he, got, he actually got honored at the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. William Who? Barr. You better shut the hell up. No, so, for real. No, like back in July. And no, this, mm. is, this is not an exaggeration. He approved an execution the day before he accepted that award. And then he approved another execution the day after he accepted that. Pope Francis. That's a fact. Pope Francis. I think um, we're going to add the Catholic Church to the bench. Yes. Or the American Catholic Church. (laughs) No, I'm putting the Pope is the only one I know. Pope (laughs) Francis. Remember, I mean, he's met him. We did meet. Remember? I blessed him. (laughs) Right. You didn't bless him We go way back. Pope Francis, you got until tomorrow to excommunicate William Barr from the church and to rescind that award. Because of the, stand by what you believe in. Stand stand on the word of God. <laughs> Not, <laughs> Wait, this just took a turn. You just, you just went straight no, into I'm, your I'm, I'm serious. I'm mad. I, mean, I, was being, I was being playful, but I'm serious. Because that, that pisses me off. Like that's, that's one, that's peak whiteness to say, we lost this shit. We're going to keep all of this flutter in the media right now. So y'all are always looking at what's happening with the election. We, meanwhile, we're going to kill black people. Mm-hmm. We can't do it in the streets because y'all got that defund the police shit happening. So we're going to just be real sneaky with some shit that ain't nobody paying attention to because Trump is challenging the fucking election for the 57th time. First of all, you said they can't do it in the street, but yet another young mm. black man was just shot in the back as he was trying to enter his house in Ohio, I think. With a Subway sandwich in his hand. Oh it's still happening in the street. It yeah. is still happening. I'm more so highlighting that this is why I always get frustrated and challenged with progressive liberalism. Not and This is not a Barack Obama moment where I'm trying to take some progressive liberals to the bench. I think what I'm trying to highlight is because of the level of hatred, violence, the lack of decency, the lack of humanity, we sitting here trying to fight this one thing and y'all ain't gonna give us that. And meanwhile, in the back, on the back end of the system, on the back end of everything underneath the rug there's all this other dirt that we can't even pay attention to because you won't even stop killing us in the fucking streets man I'm putting America on the bench the whole fucking system is on the bench you just made me mad Malcolm I was gonna have a light hearted mourner's bench today I can't even say it no more who else is on the bench 
Put Mother Teresa on the bench. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Mother Teresa, you are not on the you bench. You are not on the bench, Mother. Mother, Mother Teresa. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mother. You a miss. <laughs> I need to put Congress on the bench. Okay. All of Congress? All of Congress. Both houses. Both houses. Everybody. Both houses because they need to pass a stimulus package yeah. that includes direct payments before Christmas. And they didn't do that. The bill that they had on the table last week had nothing, nothing. for... No direct payments. It was None. It was other stuff. And what was that commercial? It's my money and I want it now. You know? <laughs> J.G. Wentworth. J.G. Wentworth. <laughs> it's my money and I want it now. Yes, you know, J.G. Wentworth. Oh. Throwback. <laughs> Yeah, Congress ain't shit. No. I mean, and there's no incentive for them to do anything right now. And this is when I go back to saying, like, Democrats and Republicans, y'all are equally at fault. Like, oh, yeah. why is there anything on the table from any side of Congress that has any Democrat signing on to it that does not include direct payments for the people? Whew. I am putting Kelly Loeffler and her campaign and the Republicans on the bench. I ain't going near that bench. We got to create a new section for the mourner's bench. There's, like, the mourner's bench and there's the Grim Reaper section. She goes in the Grim Reaper <laughs> section of the bench. <laughs> like the way that she is running her campaign and her performance in the debate was ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know how many times one person can call somebody a radical leftist. And I'm like, girl, hypocrite. You set up the, in that church when you needed the votes. Mm -hmm. And now you're running these ads acting like yeah. you wasn't in the house. There's video, honey. She was in Ebenezer. Yes. Yes, you haven't seen the ad? No, I have not seen the ad. So there's an ad where they're using clips of Raphael Warnock's sermons that are progressive messages that mm -hmm. I've heard preached and that I've preached myself, mm -hmm. but they're using that to pin him as a radical leftist, paid for by the Loeffler campaign. But this is where it's brilliant. This is why I got mad mm -hmm. respect for Raphael Warnock's campaign. Mm -hmm. So they use the exact same sort of branding, the, the darkness of the screen, the color of the font, the same font, to put her in Ebenezer with the same exact voiceover, like, Kelly Loeffler is a hypocrite. Here she is, and Ebenezer saying she's so glad that she's in there. Here she is saying she'd love to come back again. She can't believe anything that she's saying. Wow. She can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. So that's brilliant. brilliant. So, but Kelly Loeffler, you and your campaign are on the bench for that ad. Raphael Warnock, I'm also going to put your campaign on the bench. Please. Wait, wait a minute. Please put his ass on the bench. I'm not doing that. That's your business. What I'm doing in this moment <laughs> is I'm putting the campaign on the bench now, first, I want to say I understand what you're doing and why you have to do it, but you're still going on the bench because you're pandering to white people too, too hard. Have y'all seen this ad where he's walking his dog? He scoops the shit. Excuse me? He's walking a dog. I don't know if it's his dog around the block. And I get it because at, at the end of the day, white people feel like black folks who walk dogs are more safe than black people who don't. And so he's sitting there like, walking the dog and he he scoops shit and the point is he doesn't say shit in the ad but he's trying to call the Republicans and their politics shit <laughs> and so at the place where shit belongs he has the dog poop bag and drops it in the trash can and it's kind of cute and then at the end of the ad he like has the dog in his arms like playing with it I'm like oh my god the only purpose here he's definitely pandering to white people yes yes but this goes back to the end of the first campaign he said something like now she's gonna say all of these things about me and I don't like puppies oh doesn't yeah, he end that ad about. with, oh, and by the way, by I the do way, like I love puppies. puppies. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. yeah, it's relating back. But the fact that that was even a part of the conversation right. shows just how the racial Correct. politics but, work. I mean, I, I think, again, that goes back to Kelly Leffler, though. Leffler. I can't like, even say that name right. It's an O in it. <laughs> the fact that she, that she thinks it's a, it's a winning strategy to play up his blackness. Yes. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what that ad is about, right? I mean, you can couch it in, quote, radical leftist terms. That's about her trying to make him look black, trusting 
that that doesn't play well with voters in Georgia. Absolutely. And, and it's true. We're in Georgia. Right. That's, I mean, no, it is. It is 100%. I can't figure out why they're not running ads with King's sermons from Ebenezer. I don't understand. Mm. Like, why don't you just say, like, like, don't even put Raphael's face on there. Run an entire ad with footage from Martin Luther King Jr. and talk about how Raphael is pastoring the church. That's the heart of the city that's too busy to hate. Yeah. I agree with that. Like, this guy literally pastors one of the places that is the one of the biggest tourist attractions yeah. for the state of Georgia and the city of Atlanta. Do you know how many little white kids come on their field trips, conservative, Everybody. liberal, every, every, all every of them? Every time I've visited Ebenezer, which has maybe been a, a couple, a handful, I mean, it's full of tourists. It's a tourist trip. And how do you it's know they're tourists, Sam? Because they're white. Filled <laughs> <laughs> no, with white people. No, 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 no. Because it's they, people with MAGA hats at Ebenezer. Like, you can tell, like, they're looking around and taking pictures. Like, come on, man. Nobody be in church with they still on taking pictures. You're right. During well. the offering. <laughs> well. During the offering. Like, it's not the sermon. They're not, like, streaming the sermon. They, like, taking pictures during the announcements. Yeah, you ain't been in the right church. I know some people who be having their iPads up taking pictures during the offering. <laughs> oh my gosh. All y'all are on the bench. I'm just hoping that we get to 2021 and that Joe Biden stops playing with his dog and doesn't break any more <laughs> legs and bones and arms. Did you see somebody, it's not the the Biden campaign, but Major the Dog released a press release saying bark, 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 bark. <laughs> and then it's translated and says, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong here. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Push your press release need to say bone breaker is sorry I'm gonna sit my ass down and calm down Joe Biden happy paws has melatonin bites for puppies give that dog some doggy <laughs> melatonin is that one of our sponsors sponsors right exactly <laughs> last but not least uh, on a slightly lighter note I am putting Jennifer Hudson's lip syncing on the bench <laughs> if y'all watch the Mariah Carey Christmas special on Apple TV which I do not recommend um, Mariah Carey can't sing anymore I was just about to say I'm putting Mariah Carey singing really? on the bench no, uh, she couldn't sing then she could whistle whistle sing whistle tones she has good whistle tones not true you don't like her whistle tone not true that she couldn't sing at one point she actually could sing no it's always been nasally and it's always been she is, no she actually has a deep uh, uh, decent a lower register I know I'm just hating so I do love <laughs> I do love some Mariah really? Carey songs she I, is I, a national treasure and her work I don't know about that she's national treasure <laughs> are you getting aroused <laughs> because that's the only thing you that, should be that, that even, body even my, I'm even my gay ass husband's like but she still looks good I'm like but she can't sing she cannot sing anymore she can't whistle. she got like a five octave range she had, she had she okay, had I, I have not listened to her recently she be like nobody has because everything's a recording of what she did in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> my favorite song by her is when you left the London part of me in this, no, when you lost the part of me, it's so hard to believe. Come back, baby, because we long know we belong together. You are so dramatic. Oh my gosh, can't even make it stop. <laughs> she held it longer, so she did that, but. Jennifer Hudson, in this Christmas special, there was one moment, honey child, one moment where you was like, am I still supposed to be lip syncing? And everybody saw it. It was so embarrassing. Ariana Grande, Mariah Carey, and Jennifer Hudson was all singing together. And Jennifer was like, yeah, I'm just here for the check, honey. <laughs> so your lip syncing goes on the bench, girl. You can do better. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. 
Don't stop listening yet. You know the drill. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate it. I saw two of my boos, Natalie and Lisa, left a little review. Thanks to you both. Now the rest of you, be like Natalie. Be like Lisa. They are the cool kids. Do just what they're doing. (laughs) We'll be back on Thursday with Sam and Katie's one-on-one. They are two of the most sarcastic humans I know, but I hear Sam was actually trying to be nice during the recording. So listen in and see if it's true. I highly doubt it. All right, that's it. Peace. I'm going to be Tina Turner next year for Halloween.